Do you know there are 59 one another's in the New Testament? That these one another's teach us and show us how to live with each other and also how not to live with each other. If we are going to live them out well, this is the glue that is going to hold us together. We're not saved and then just expected, oh, just carry on life as usual. Of course, all of us who have been in church long enough know that the answer to any question is Jesus. that we're looking at today is starting with a bit of a recap of, of Jesus' last 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. The, the vast majority of his letter, his book, is, by the way, which is one of my favorite, favorite books to read, um, is really about what happened after Jesus ascended to heaven. What happened when he left? And what we've got is this amazing record of the Holy Spirit uh, indwelling and empowering Jesus' followers to share the gospel around the world. The rest of the book of Acts is really, it's a missional book. It's talking about the mission of the kingdom of heaven. And that's really a bit of what I'd like to talk about today, is what does missional kingdom of heaven living look like in 21st century Pemberton? Especially in a year that we've had, which is absolutely uh, crazy. So let's take a look. Let's see what uh, Luke has to say to his, uh, to his friend. So I'm reading from Acts 1, verses 1 to 3, and here's what Luke says. It says, Dear Theophilus, in the first volume of this book, I wrote on everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he said goodbye to the, to the apostles the ones he had chosen through the Holy Spirit and was taken up to heaven. After his death, he presented himself alive to them in many different settings. I actually like, like the NIV version that says he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive over a period of about 40 days. In face-to-face -face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. I love Luke's writing. Uh, for a number of reasons, but he's, he has a different attention to detail. Maybe it's because he was a doctor. Uh, and one of the attentions to detail that I like about his writing is he puts in specific numbers of days. He mentions that it was 40 days that Jesus was around from his resurrection till his ascension. And what I like about that is that if I believe that, that 2,000 years ago, in and around Jerusalem, this story that we're reading was being acted out in real life, in real time, in Jesus' life and the life of his followers. If I was transplanted back, and I talked about time machines, if I went back to Jerusalem 2000 years, this would have been happening right now. In fact, last Thursday, last Thursday was called the Feast of Ascension. And the Feast of Ascension is recognized, Christians recognize that, as the 39th day after Jesus res was resurrected. 
And that day, last Thursday, would have been the day that we recognize that Jesus ascended uh, into heaven. I don't know about you, but that just gives me a bit more flesh and blood when I, when I read these stories. When people know their time is short, and, and Jesus knew that he had basically 40 days from 39 days from when he was resurrected to ascension, when people know their time is short, it really does crystallize what's important to them. And what we've read today, I think, shows us there are two things that were most important to Jesus in this last time with his disciples before he left him. One was it said he did many convincing proofs to prove that he was alive. One of the biggest things that Jesus needed to do was to convince his followers, his disciples, that in fact he had risen from the grave. I have to believe that 2,000 years ago around Jerusalem, there was a heck of a lot of resurrection buzz. Um, I think it was a lot more than maybe uh, six weeks ago when we were at the fire here, and, and I'm as guilty where I, you know, I say the Lord is risen, and everybody goes, he's risen indeed. I don't get that the people were greeting each other quite that way. I'm imagining that they were just out of their minds excited that he's alive, he's alive. I saw him yesterday. And Jesus needed that to happen. He needed people to believe that he had risen physically from the dead, and, and he did that. Uh, there's records in the gospel where he was walking along with people on the road, that he was sharing meals with people. He was eating so that they knew that he, was, he wasn't a ghost, that he was actually alive. He, he had people, he would come up to him and he'd say, believe me, put your, put your fingers in my side. Put your fingers in the wrists where the nails were. It's me. It's me. Because if people did not believe that Jesus was risen from the dead, the whole gospel, his whole point of being here was a lie and a sham and, and pointless. And Paul says, if the resurrection hasn't happened, then we're to be pitied as followers of Jesus more than, than any man. And I believe he did that. I believe that in that 40 days, he was showing up and people believed, in fact, that he had uh, miraculously risen from the dead. The second thing that was on his agenda, and the one I really want to spend more time on today, is he talked about something which is no surprise he talked about the kingdom of heaven imagine the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven was the bookend of jesus earthly ministry uh, mark records that when jesus first started his ministry out of galilee uh, one of his first statements was the time has come the time has come the kingdom of heaven is near rejoice and believe the good news Jesus was saying the time has come. Something that God had promised was happening. The kingdom of heaven is near. The Messiah, Jesus, had come to earth. And he said, repent and believe the good news. And at the end of his earthly, or the three years that he was with them, teaching them, uh, so much of that's recorded in the letters is about the kingdom of heaven. I was talking to Phil today and I was trying to figure out, looking for what percentage of Jesus' teaching was actually around the kingdom of heaven. It has to be a lot. It has to be a lot. And we were both sort of guessing, you know, just guessing maybe, I don't know, 65 to 95 percent, 80 percent, but a lot of Jesus' teaching in those three years was about the kingdom of heaven. And for his last 40 days, what in fact was he talking about with them? The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the heart cry of, of Jesus Christ. I love the way N.T. Wright talks about Jesus' resurrection, uh, the kingdom of heaven, 
and missional living. He puts it this way. He says, Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, God's new mission. Not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. I love that. I love that. That God's new project is not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. And he says that, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is about. And Jesus taught the people the Lord's Prayer. What is one of the central lines of the Lord's Prayer? Lord, your kingdom come. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a statement about the kingdom of heaven and mission. Well, if the kingdom of heaven is synonymous with the reign and the rule of God, and Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven, when he's talking, he says, you don't go over there to look for the kingdom of heaven. Don't go over there to look for the kingdom of heaven. Where does he say the kingdom of heaven is? He said, the kingdom of heaven is within me. The kingdom of heaven is within me. And it's within you and it's with, within all the people who claim to Jesus as their, as their Savior and Lord. I have a lot of questions. So the next question, I said, well, what does that look like? What does that look like? How would uh, someone recognize the kingdom of heaven on earth? Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Which means the reign and the rule of the kingdom of heaven in my life is expressed in my obedience to what Jesus has asked me to do. Actually, what he commands me to do. And we've talked about these before, but there, I think there are three big missional commandments that Jesus has given us to follow. The first one is to, again, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. The Apostle Paul, I think, gives us a, such a great picture of what does that look like? What is that loving God that way? Uh, in the first 11 chapters of Roman Romans, Paul is telling the people everything that God has given us in Christ, forgiveness of sin, adoption into his family. It goes on and on and on about all of the good, good things that we have received from him through Christ. And in chapter 12, he stops and he says, in view of everything, in view of all that God has done for us, what should we do with that? And this is what he has to say in verse 12. I love this in the message. So Paul says, so here's what I want you to do with God's help. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. An offering. Offering my life. What, is, what does that look like? And, of course, all of us who have been in church long enough know that the answer to any question is Jesus. And I believe it's the same here. What does that look like? It's the life of Jesus. It's the life of Jesus. That living that sacrificial life is, is, is two things. Jesus says, I have come not to do what I want to do. He said, I've come to do what my Father in heaven has told me to do. It's a life of surrender again. It's about saying, God, you know, loving you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength means you've got my life. For everything you've done for me, I'm giving it all back to you as best I can. 
It's a life of surrender. And I think the other thing that uh, categorizes Jesus is um, he said, I didn't come to be served, but to what? But to serve and give my life as a ransom. Two of the hallmark characteristics of sacrificial worship, offering myself to God, is surrender and serving. Philippians goes on to say, even though he was God, he didn't hang on to the Godship, but he chose to make himself nothing, taking on the nature of man and even more so a servant and being obedient to death. Loving God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength means surrendering to God and a life of, of service. And the second biggie that he said he gives us is to love one another as yourself. Do you know there are 59 one another's in the New Testament? 59 one another's in the New Testament. And the reason that these are so important is that these one another's teach us and show us how to live with each other and also how not to live with each other. These one another's, if we are going to live them out well, this is the glue that is going to hold us together and is going to be a huge witness in our lives to the world. If we get it wrong, it's going to be not good for sure. 59 of them. I'm just going to, I'm not going to go through them all. Love. Any guess? 16 times. 16 times we're told out of those 59 to love one another. So that's obviously a pretty important one. Other ones, be devoted to one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another, build up each other, serve each other, forgive each other, submit to each other, and it goes on and on. There's also things that we shouldn't be doing. Shorter list, but it says we shouldn't be lying to each other. We shouldn't be judging one another. We shouldn't be slandering each other. We shouldn't be grumbling about each other. Getting these things right is so important for two reasons. First of all, this forms a basis for our life together in the church, in the family of God. This is what's going to make or break our genuine caring for each other in the family of God. If we aren't getting these right, it is not going to be a healthy church family. The second reason it's so important is that it directly affects our witness to the world. I asked earlier, how would somebody recognize the kingdom of heaven on earth looking at us as followers of Jesus? Jesus, in chapter 17, just before he's going to the cross, he prays to the Father for all the believers, which is us. And what does he pray? He says, Father, may they be one, just as you and I are one. And a couple of sentences later, he says, may they be one. And he goes on again in another sentence. He says, may they be brought to complete unity, complete oneness. Why? Why is that so important? Because he says, so that the world will believe that you sent me. Our unity and our oneness is at the heart, again, of the Father and of Christ in our lives together. You know, we're not going to agree on everything. We 
are not going to agree on everything. The question is, what do we do when we don't agree? What do we do when we don't agree? Do we judge? Do we divide up into our own little parties? Is that what God wants us to do? Or do we keep with the positive one another? Do we keep loving each other? Do we keep being devoted to one another? Do we keep living in harmony? Do we build each other up? Do we serve each other? So that when the world looks at us, they go, you know what? These, these people aren't agreeing on everything. But they're not splitting up. They're not backbiting. And we can say to those people, we say, yeah, we, we don't agree. But he's still my brother in Christ. She's still my sister in Christ. We are still part of the family of God. And that's the most important thing. And I think in some crazy way, when we disagree and we still are doing the one another's, it can be a more powerful witness to the life of God among us. And the third one that Jesus commands us is to go and make disciples, which is probably better translated, as you go, make disciples. As I'm living my day-to-day life, like up, is ask God to bring me to people who want to know him, to meet him, and then partner with them as they become followers of Jesus. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And I'll be with you even to the end of the age. How would somebody recognize the kingdom of heaven on earth? Sounds like the kingdom of heaven on earth would look like people of God who are serving each other, who have surrendered themselves who are loving each other and who are sharing the gospel with others. You know, Jesus' gospel is not just an exit strategy to secure life after death. We're not saved and then just expected, oh, just carry on life as usual until Jesus returns or you die. The full gospel of Jesus Christ is that we are saved and commissioned, or we are saved and repurposed to go into the world, bringing this new life, this new kingdom of life with us. What did Enright say? Colonize the earth with the kingdom of heaven. I love this idea of being repurposed, because it has two parts to it, I think. It has the idea of being chosen, especially chosen for a special purpose. We were visiting Phil and Catherine Reed about a month ago, and they have a beautiful new place in Euclid. And uh, so I went in the kitchen, and he's got an Ikea kitchen there. And as I looked closer at the kitchen and the kitchen cabinets, I noticed that there wasn't usual Ikea handles on any of the doors or the drawers in the island. And as I looked closer, what I found was that they were, all the handles were made up of rocks, different rocks that they had found. And I said to Philip, what, what, what's with that? And he said, well, he said, uh, we were just, we wanted to have these rocks as a special part of our, our house. And uh, 
And what they would be doing is they would be walking the beach and it wasn't like they would just scoop up a whole bunch of just rocks and bring them back and put them on the wall. They knew that they had specific rocks they were looking for. They had specific colors, they had specific shapes, they had specific sizes. And it took effort for them to go through and sort of go, oh, that's the special one for that special place. They had different shapes, rectangular ones for the drawers that pulled out on the island. Repurpose those rocks on the beach were being repurposed. They were being specially chosen by Phil and Catherine for this special job to be handles on their uh, cabinets in their new home. I think that's a bit of a picture of, of God repurposing me and God repurposing you. Is that we are all a bit different. We're different sizes, we're different shapes, we're different colors. And yet God specially chosen each one of us especially think about that you have been especially chosen by God himself Jesus said you didn't choose me I chose you and why did he choose us he says to go and bear fruit fruit that will last kingdom of heaven fruit is why we have been chosen in Ephesians Paul says that we were created to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do you and I have been repurposed for this amazing privilege of living out and showing the world what the kingdom of heaven looks like on earth. So church, to wrap up today, the mission of bringing the reign and the rule of God to earth as it is in heaven has not changed in the last 2,000 years. It has not changed since Jesus left. The mission stays the same. And it's not going to change until Jesus comes back. That's missional living. Lots of other things change. We just have to look around today at all the craziness that's happening and realize there are lots of changes in the air. The Kingdom of Heaven mission has not changed. The mission remains the same. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love other people as ourselves. And as we go, to make disciples. I'd like to finish with a quote from the book of Acts introduction. I'll leave you with this. The story of Jesus doesn't end with Jesus. It continues in the lives of those who believe in him. The supernatural does not stop with Jesus. Luke makes it clear that these Christians that he wrote about were no more spectators of Jesus than Jesus was a spectator of God. They are in on the action of God. God acting in them, God living in them. Which also means, of course, living in us. God bless.